Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedan, founder and CEO of Devian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host, Chris Ferdinand, and today we have Steve Warner, which he is the founder of Reach Millions, which is a company that helps people to teach from one to many. Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, Christopher. Thank you so much for having me on. Man, thank you for being here. Uh, before we click record, we're kind of going back and forth about what you do and the fact that you're a professional speaker such as myself. And I'm like, this is going to be a geeky episode as speaking is one of my true passions, things that I do on a daily basis. So we're going to unpack all of that in what you do. Uh, but before going into that, can you please tell us a bit more of what your company is, what you do on a daily basis in that regards? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, pre-COVID, we got to talk a little bit about pre and post COVID. It's kind of like AC, like ADBC, right? Uh, pre COVID, we held live events for professional businesses. So lawyers, doctors, med spas, financial planners, coaches, consultants, we would hold an event 25 to 200 people in the room. Uh, we teach them how to sell from stage. I would MC the event. I'd run the sales table. The world was a great place. Then COVID happened. Uh, we pivoted into webinars. I had thrown stones at virtual events forever, so I couldn't just do those. We went to webinars. Uh, we now have uh, 43 clients that we've built webinars for with about 6.8 million in top line sales. I basically took all the stuff that worked on stage, threw out the boring webinar model, made something that was fun, interactive, and closed really well. Uh, and now we're starting to pivot back into live events. Uh, the live event space is coming back pretty strong. Uh, we've done this year so far, I've been in Ireland and Paris for masterminds, as well as Miami, Philly, Chicago, LA, and Portland. So we're killing it with live events. Steve, that is amazing. And I truly like uh, excited the fact that like you mentioned, the live events are coming into play. And like I said, I'm a professional speaker as well. And like you were mentioning pre-COVID, past COVID, kind of like a uh, you know, the, the blimp in uh, the Marvel universe with Thanos, right? Pre blimp, after blimp. And we did see as speakers a different dynamic when you were doing it through Zoom, which was very great to have that accessibility, but it's not at all the same thing as being in person, having the chance to shake people's hands and meeting them in person. And my question to you is in that regards, pre-COVID and now coming back to the, the COVID world or coming back to the online world, did you see a significant difference in sales when you're on stage in person and an event towards that when you are doing a webinar on uh, Zoom and other platforms? Sure. That is a great question. So I will tell you, this is what we saw. Um, live is always going to be a higher close percentage rate. Mm -hmm. The number of people in the room, though, is much more limited. Mm -hmm. So if you have 100 people in a room at a live event, you can comfortably expect to close 20 to 30%. 
on a webinar, your close percent is going to be much closer to like five to 10%. Um, we had I, my call right before this, I was on with a client, they were able to do 13%, which is considered really good for a webinar. The difference is he had 650 people in the room. So 650 people, just so you guys know, if you're listening to this and you want to run a webinar, you're going to expect a 25% show up rate. So to get 650 people into that room, he had 21, a little over 2,100 people registered. So if we look at the, the stats here, 2,100 people registered, 650 show up, a 13% close rate, he ended up closing about 80 people. Um live to close 80 people, he would have had to have, if we we're going to a 20% close rate, 160 people in the room. The marketing effort, I know I'm giving a really long answer, but this is a geeky show. The marketing answer to get 160 people into a live event is going to cost you 20 to 30 grand probably in marketing spend, or you have to have a really active audience. Um, I would say to expect 160 people in a room, you're going to need a list size of 20 to 25,000. So webinars, whether we like it or not, I'm an in-person guy. You're an in-person guy. Webinars will always be able to outperform because of the fact that you can put more people in at a lower rate. High ticket sales, though, are mm. always better in person. And that's right. most of the events that we run are high ticket sales, which is like fifteen dollars to $25,000 starting point, all the way up to uh, we ran an event right before COVID with 100K Mastermind, and we sold just under 20%. We sold 19% of the room. Wow. So, Okay. So uh, Steve, you mentioned a lot of things there that I wanted to highlight. So one thing was the aspect of the quality uh, versus quantity, and you've alluded to it right in the back end of your, uh, of your answer over there, the aspect of the webinar, you're going to hit so much more because there's more people, but it has to be a lower ticket item. It just makes sense towards, if you do want that higher ticket thing in person, it's going to go so much further. And not only that, it creates a filtering process of people that are paying to go to the event. So it filters out people that are interested towards people that are committed. And within that room, you have a higher percentage of chance of closing that number, even though it's a higher percentage, it's a smaller room, but your higher ticket uh, within the pricing. So I love that you clarified that. Uh, and Steve, as you were saying, things are kind of opening up in that regards. And you were talking about webinar previously and kind of taking out the old model of the webinar and the last, I would say, five plus years solid when ClickFunnels really came about more in a mainstream level and changed sales to an extreme level for entrepreneurs, especially like online entrepreneurs. Uh, what has shifted now? Because we've seen thousands of like, hey, come join my webinar. And then, you know, the one, two, three, then sell this, sell that. And people are getting more aware of that. The consumers are very much uh, aware, not only about this, but everything. And this is one aspect that we're getting more aware of it. So what are the strategies that you're using to really get to that next level, let's say to 2.0 of the like the click funnel sales aspect. Now I'm saying click funnels just to, for people to understand, but not necessarily just them either. So what would you uh, speak to that, Steve? Sure. So I've, I have a couple, couple pieces to that answer. Um, the, the truth is that the answer is a mess. There's a lot to it. The first thing is people still attend webinars. Yes, it is dropping off a little bit, but people still will attend a webinar. Mm -hmm. If when I look at a webinar, 
So a client comes to me and they say, my webinar is not working like it used to. Can you look at it? So I look at how many people showed up, how many people were there when you started teaching, how many people were there when you stopped teaching, how many people were there when you made the offer, how many people were there at the end of the offer. Mm. That's a timeline. It tells me where the webinar is falling apart. And this is the thing. Most people overteach. I, I, this is a really scientific answer. When you overteach on a webinar, our ego is fed because what do we want to feel? We want to be the person that solves everyone's problems, especially if we're guys, right? We're like, yeah, we solve problems. That's what we do. By overteaching, you hurt your sales. People are not going to stay on because you've satiated all their hunger. You need to give them a little bit that walks them forward to get them to trust you. And then this is the key phrase that gets people to see the offer. Does it make sense to you that I wouldn't be able to share with you my 10 plus years of expertise in this? How many of you got a lot of value from this today? How many of you could see how if you could do, insert product, it would change your business? How many of you know if you change your business, you would change your life? What would that mean to you? Would that mean driving a nicer car? Would that mean sending your kids to college? Well, would it be okay with you if I showed you how we could work together over the next six to eight weeks to implement this first piece that you learned here, plus the next two to three pieces to get big outcome? If you frame it like that, people are like, well, yeah, that's an offer and I'm interested because they all know that the sale is coming. The whole point of the front piece of the webinar is not to teach them. It is prove to them that they can get the outcome. And you don't do that through teaching. You do that through showing them, getting them into a little bit of momentum, showing them case studies, testimonials, proof that they can do it. Then they'll be staying around for the offer because everybody knows that that's really what they need is they need like six, eight weeks, six months, a year of X to get the outcome. That's different than a course. That's the other thing that I'll say is courses, well, they still sell. It is better if you do a live training. If you're doing a live course with people, people will get much more value because you're doing it with them. They can talk to you. I've I've seen and talked to a lot of people over the last two years. They're in the webinar industry, right? Talk to a lot of the people that are buying. They want live access to the guru. And that changes the dynamics. I know there are a lot of people who just want to sell courses on autopilot. You're not... it. It's not that it's not happening, but it doesn't happen like it used to. You need to have that live dynamic. Is that, I know that that was kind of a messy answer, but. No, but I mean, we're going to highlight certain things so it could just uh, uh, be uh, better digested for, for the people, but you got, you gave a lot of great examples there. So first and foremost, the first aspect was when you present something, be very much aware of the perception of how you present it on the aspect of knowing, hey, are you giving too much information? Because that's your kind of filling in your ego, like you said, towards just showing them that, hey, I can't teach you everything that I've learned over 10 years in this few minutes of webinar, but this is what you can potentially come out with. What is the transformation, right? You're not selling something, you're you're selling the transformation. So I love the fact that you said that sentence. It's very clear that you've done hundreds of these uh, webinars because you got that uh, down pack in that in the way that you uh, placed the, that verbiage, right? So that's one thing. Second thing, the aspect of uh, that you highlighted, and I love that because I'm actually right now going to launch in before the end of the year, my uh, academy with my course. And that's something that I saw with the people that I'm interviewing. It is highly more valuable 
to not just sell a course, but sell a course with a weekly access to, like you said, the guru, which I don't like that word or the expert or whatever, because that mm-hmm. amplifies and compounds people's learning and it keeps them accountable towards if they just get a course, there's so many courses online nowadays, people will potentially buy it, will not buy it. And maybe they won't do it towards if you have that structure in itself, they'll get results. They get results. They're happier. Your business grows vice versa. So I love those two things that you mentioned. And I wanted to highlight that for our listeners over here. Now, Steve, as you're kind of going forward, and like I said, most of my uh, listeners over here are very much entrepreneurial based and sales is such an important part. How do you work with clients to get them towards launching these programs, getting that like one to many reach, how to go about it? What are some of the strategies that you go about doing that? Well, most of most of the people that I work with already have a webinar they mm. already have a course. I'm coming in and I'm fixing something that was broken mm. or I'm taking something. We've worked with, I would say maybe a third of the people that we've worked with have, they've been doing one-to-one sales and they're selling a high ticket. We took what they were doing in high ticket and we turned it into cohorts, right? So we would say, we're going to put together the webinar for you. Your goal is to sell 25, 30 seats into your cohort, which is going to launch, I have like September 1st, right? Usually the first of the month, it's going to be an eight week, two month course where you're going to teach with them. So we're taking somebody who is really good at doing something one-to-one and we start to build a group program for them. So once they've done a couple of those cohorts, they know you learn what people need to know. Cause this is something that I learned. I think everybody who's ever done a course learned you spend the time, you build the course and then nobody knows, like nobody takes it. They don't follow through on it. You're not teaching the things that they really want by doing a cohort. You teach each piece, each piece weekly and you listen. And then you do a Q and a call and you find out what the things are that people need. Once you do two or three of those, you then know exactly what your course needs to have. And you've taught it several times. So you have all the materials. Then you fire up your camera, you teach it, and you have a really well laid out course that solves. This is the key. It solves exactly what people are asking for. And you know that because it came from your audience versus coming out of your head. I love that, Stephen. Like you got it spot on, to be quite honest, to give you like an example of my personal life in that regards. Like I said, I'm, I'm launching Dedian Academy very soon. And with my team, mm-hmm. we put a goal to speak to 50 top tier entrepreneurs that could be a great client for us before launching anything. And we asked them about their pain points, their reality, so on and so forth. So we know specifically what they want, because like you said, we don't want to fall in that, in that rabbit hole of like, hey, we put a course out there, we launch it, and then we hear crickets, right? We're like, hey, what does our client need? How do they want to go about it? And so on. So I love that. And I wanted to highlight that for the listeners to really be aware of that. If you are going to do anything, there's a market research part that's very long, very tedious, not fun work. Like I would love to like launch the course right away, like anybody, but if you do it right, you build the foundation solidly, then you could build the second, first, third, fifth floor and beyond. So Steve, I know I know that you have uh, like a great podcast as well, which I do want you to mention in a few seconds here. And you've interviewed many, many top tier entrepreneurs, millionaires, and successful people. And you had mentioned that you have learned some some key points that these people have mentioned to you. I would love to kind of talk to about that and what have you learned in that regards. And tell me at the same time, are these certain things that you were already doing? Is there certain things that you started implementing after uh, learning about these things within your personal life and your business? Man, that 
it's a great question. The um my history, I'll just give you like the really short history. Um, 2013, I was a corporate manager for Vail Resorts. Um, I managed fine dining restaurants. I had no experience speaking on stage, no experience with events, nothing. I went to see Tony Robbins and Tony Robbins said, you know, you should be living your dream. You should be living your passion. Um, you might be a lot like I was, I, I was like, I want to do more. I want to be more. I want to serve more people. I'm, I'm called to do more than just this job. I wasn't necessarily unhappy, but I wasn't fulfilled. So when I started, I started reading. I'm, I've always been a reader. My mom was an English teacher. Like I wasn't allowed to watch TV. I was allowed to watch one hour of TV for every one hour of reading. Um, so it led to me reading a lot of biographies and a lot of stuff about business. Um, and I saw that there were some things that separated people. Well, then I started my podcast in 2016 and I started interviewing these people because you just touched on if you can learn somebody's pain points, if you can learn what they need, then you can design the perfect product and you don't ever have to really work all that hard at sales. Like you still have to sell. Let me be very clear. You still have to be able to sell, but you can you can plug in. Well, the same thing goes for if you want to improve your life, go find people who have done what you want to do and talk to them, figure out what they're doing. So I started interviewing people. Um, the three things that I came came out with from interviewing all of the people. Uh, the first one is that you have to be really good at being uncomfortable. Like we as humans all want to be comfortable. Like that's what we look for. We look for comfort in life. And although we know there are things that we need to do that make us uncomfortable, we have a hard time doing them. Uh, going to the gym every day, doing workouts that stress you, going for a run. Those are like some really easy ones, right? Oh, I don't have time. We all make excuses. Oh, I don't have time for that. That doesn't fit into my schedule. I don't really like that. At your core though, if it was something you liked doing, the other thing is like our ego is fed. The other side of this coin with being uncomfortable is our ego is fed by what we are good at, what we feel like we're good at. And the minute we do something that we're not good at, especially if there are people around watching us, judging us, looking at us, that causes a lot of pain. What really great CEOs and thought leaders do is they don't care. They have learned to like build a compartment around that side of the brain that is saying like, what are other people going to think? And said, who cares? I'm here because I need to learn this set. So I don't know. Do you follow Alex Hermosi at all? Yes. Alex is... Alex like nails this on the head. Um, I was lucky enough. I've gone to dinner with Alex a couple of times. Um, Alex nails this on the head in like his last couple of videos. The key to becoming a great entrepreneur, great at anything you do is look at the path and look at the bricks that you need to build into that path and spend whatever money you need to, to learn that piece. And each time it's a new brick, that's something new that you haven't done before. And great entrepreneurs, great business owners, they don't care about being judged. They don't care about being the smartest person in the room. They care about learning the next thing and surrounding themselves with those really good people, right? Like they're, they're, they have no ego. They will gladly say, I don't understand that. Can you explain that to me? And they want to learn that as fast as possible. Um, the thing that I think Alex says that I love more than anything is like spend all of your money learning that next piece and going back to courses and all of that stuff. A lot of people say, well, I bought this course. It should be make me a millionaire. 
You wouldn't go to college and say, I took English 101. I expect it to make me a millionaire. You need all the classes. And that's what entrepreneurship, especially digital entrepreneurship takes. So that's that's straight one. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to unpack the three that you just mentioned over here. So we could really dive in deep with it. So first and foremost, what you learned is to be successful, you have to be uncomfortable. And as you alluded to it, I want to highlight over here, our brain is made to do one thing and that's to keep us alive. It's not made us to make us abundant, fulfilled, happy, uh, successful, and so on, right? That's why when we go towards our uncomfort or get out of our comfort zone, our brain is having that fear aspect, but people really misassociate fear and danger. Fear is good. It's getting you out of your comfort zone. Danger is, hey, I'm going to get hurt. And people misassociate that. So that's the first thing you mentioned. Second thing you mentioned is that high successful people don't care. What do you mean by don't care is they don't care about looking foolish. They'll be out there. They'll try it. It doesn't matter what other people think. They'll try. Not only that, they understand that they don't have an ego or they push away their ego because when they care, it's their ego that's talking. But when they don't care, they're humble enough to be like, hey, I need to learn, which is the third thing. They understand that they're succeeding. So how much do we need to learn? And you associated Alex Hormozzi's aspect of like, where do I need to go? That's the path I need to take. What are the bricks that I need to put forward to create that path? And every single brick is a learning opportunity. And every single brick should be looked at in a focused way. That's what I need to concentrate on. That's what I need to invest on to get the next brick. And this is a thing that takes time. It's not a get rich scheme. It's not something that happens overnight. It's a process. So I love those three things that you mentioned. I'm so on board and spot on with the way that you kind of explained that, Stephen. Uh, awesome job with that. Uh, my next question over here, as we're kind of you know going down and just having this great conversation here, is I want to talk about the speaking world a bit. So you said that you've mm -hmm. been on legit like hundreds of stages. Uh, you've done hundreds of webinars, and you're kind of helping clients of yours to do the same thing. How did mm -hmm. you... Get in the speaking world, one, I think you kind of alluded to it with the Tony Robbins thing, but how did you start that aspect? Because that is a, a very a scary uh, place if you do not know where to start. A lot of people ask me, how, Chris, how do you go speak in front of thousands of people? How did that aspect happen? So that's my first question to you. And the second question that I have with this in same regards is how do you continually get these events? Right now, is it through your network? Is it just because of referrals? Or how do you go prospect to get these top-end events? Sure. Um, those are great questions. So 2013, went and saw Tony Robbins, decided that I was going to leave my corporate job. I actually cashed out my 401k. I moved to Las Vegas and went all in on holding an event. Um, I spent just short of 40 grand and failed miserably. Like wow. I won't drag you guys through the whole thing here, but it... I rented the biggest space that I could at Treasure Island. It was an 1,800-person ballroom uh, for three days. I did the whole thing, um, and I knew nothing about marketing. I just thought, you hold an event, and people come. Uh, that did not happen. I spent all my money on like all the marketing that you could ever think of, and none of it worked because I didn't know anything, right? I just was like, people were like, you should do radio ads. I was like, let's do radio ads. People, you should do print ads. Let's do print ads. Oh, you need a website. Let's do a website. And like none of that translated into anything because I didn't understand why people buy. So that first event fell flat on my face. Um, 
I had some good entrepreneur friends in Las Vegas and they believed in me and they said, what do you want to do? Do you want to hold events and speak or do you want to go back to your old job? My old job had an offer on the table. I was being contacted by headhunters. I was very good at my old job. And uh, when you have an offer on the table for $100,000 in a resort town with housing, you're like, it's really tempting to take that job. Mm -hmm. But I said, no, I want to do this. This is like, if I'm ever going to do it, I was, uh, I was 33 years old. I was like, if I'm ever going to do it, it's right now. So I put my head down. They, uh, my friends allowed me to live in their guest house. Uh, they said, you can stay for as long as you want, as long as you are working towards your dream. We don't want you in there playing video games or like, you know, doing silly stuff. And I said, no problem. Uh, so I put my head down and I got involved with a guy named Dan Kennedy, who's pretty much the godfather of digital marketing. If you don't know who Dan is, um, classic direct marketer, but I found one of his cassette tape programs in uh, in a Las Vegas library. I listened to it and it was called Butts and Seats. And I followed what it said and I was able to put together an event for 80 people um, at South Point Casino off the strip. Um, that event, we did about 10 K in sales and I felt like there was a, like a little light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Um, from there things started going better. I joined Dan's program. Uh, I was active in genius networks for a while, then went into Russell's community. I've been in a bunch of different communities over the years. Um, but started to take off with events. So between 2014 and COVID we held, more than 40 events of my own. Uh, so my own events were marketing events. I would teach marketing. Uh, we had 14 different verticals that we were active in, um, but they were usually smaller events, 25 to hundred people. I would talk on stage, then I would sell them consulting or Facebook ads. Uh, then because I got so good at running events, people came back and people in the industry were like, how are you doing these events? So I started helping other digital entrepreneurs, influencers hold their own events and do high ticket sales at the back of the room. Uh, so we did 23 of those events before COVID. And that was, that was kind of the events and speaking. There's a little bit more there that I can get into. Um, you asked specifically about getting on stages and speaking. Um, being a paid keynote speaker is different from what I do. Mm -hmm. I usually pay for my stages because I'm selling from stage. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to pay for a stage, you one, you got to have the cash Two, you got to know that you can convert. Um, if both of those things are true, you can get on infinite numbers of stages, but you have to know how to do that. If you're looking for speaking opportunities, I can tell you like myself, the stages that I've been on that I haven't paid for. I did two things. When I lived in Vegas, I got to know all the event planners. If you live in a town and you want to get on stages in your town, find the event planners, take them out to lunch, become their friends. That will take care because they have a short list of people that they're always going to call to speak. Be on that short list. The other thing that I'll tell you is be the easiest person in the world to work with. I can tell you this from holding events. Chris, you might have seen this at events. There are speakers who come in. They are never in the room. They'll tell the same joke that they heard somebody else tell. They'll have a ridiculous rider. They'll want a VIP suite. They show up late. They demand. They go over time. All of those things lead to you never getting invited back. Instead, be the easiest person in the world. Show up early. Know your stuff. Know who else is in the room. 
make sure that you shake hands with people who are at the event, make the event planner and the person holding the event look like a rock star, you will get called to speak all the time because that's an event planner. What's an event planner doing? They're managing 50 things, right? They've got everything on their plate. And then a speaker comes in and is a huge pain in the ass. Do you think anybody wants to call that person back? If you have a huge name, you can get away with it. But if you're just getting started, take the event planners out to lunch. Like find them, buy them something, send them a bottle of wine, get on their good list. And then to show them, what does the event planner care about? Are you easy to work with? And do you offer something great that the audience wants to hear? If you do both of those things and the way that you do that, George Clooney, I'll share a real quick story. George Clooney became one of the best actors, not because he looked so great, but because he would go to the person that was directing and he would say, what do you need for this role? How do you see this role being played? And then he would listen and then he would put his spin on his character to be what that person needed. You can do the same thing in the speaking world really easily. What's your event about? Oh, it's a, it's business. It's how to manage teams internally. Oh, that's awesome. I teach on leadership. I have something that could work for that. People love it. If I put together a talk for you that showed you how mid-level management could manage more effectively and get 20% more buy-in, would that be interesting to your audience? Yeah? Okay. If I come to the whole event and I was willing to work for free to help you out, and I showed up on time and I did everything really well. Would that be helpful to you? Yeah. That's a much easier sell than, you know what I mean? Like there are people out there that are really difficult to work with. Yeah. You're never going to get a call back. So I wanted to highlight a couple of things there, Stephen. You did such a great job. Obviously there's different types of stages from being a paid keynote speaker towards being a uh, uh, paying, uh, selling on stage, uh, uh, towards being somebody that uh, um, is, is essentially paying uh, to have ads on the event, so on and so forth, having a booth. There's so many different uh, uh, avenues within that. And you explained the first one that you usually pay for it because you know that you could convert and there's sales behind it. So it's a marketing strategy and you're clearly a great communicator. So you know that you have the, the necessary proficiency to make that happen. The other aspect was so you explained if you want to be a keynote speaker, paid keynote speaker. I truly love what you mentioned is figure out who are the event planners? This is kind of like the concept of the tipping point. Instead of just going out and talking to everybody, who are the people that have access to get you on stage? Create a relationship with them. Figure out what they want. Like you said, the example of George Clooney, what is the value you could bring? And be professional. Know your stuff. Be present. Be active. Be there and be on time. Know your stuff. So I truly love everything you just mentioned because I 100% back everything that you just uh, said in that regards. All right. As we're coming down the time over here, I want to ask you two last questions. Okay. And see, my next question is, as this is called the Peak Performance Greatness Show, and it's clearly obvious that you're a high performer, you're clearly very successful with everything that you've done with the stages, with your sales and so on and so forth. And there's a lot to learn with everything you're mentioning. But we don't only learn through successes, we also learn through failures. And you kind of alluded to one previously, right? Towards that, that 40K that you took out in that first event, we're like, oh my God, a huge flop. Now, I believe that you learn from your mistakes, but you also could learn with other people's mistakes or difficulties. So my question to you is, right now, Stephen, what is difficult or challenging within your business that you're having a hard time with? What are the actual challenges that you're working on right now? And how do you go about potentially fixing that? Sure. 
That's a great question. Um, the two things that I think I'll give you two things I struggle with. Um, I make a list every week of like what was my biggest struggle because one of the traits we didn't talk about about the high performers that I interviewed was they're always looking for their weakness and they're looking to delegate it and get it off their plate. My thing is I'm a control freak. Like I like to control. Um, I've hired people in the past when I was at Vail. I had a couple hundred people under me. And I don't like having a lot of employees. I don't like having, because they don't do the same work that I do. That being said, I'm always testing out new hires and I'm trying to find the people that can do the things that I need done in a good enough manner at a price point that we can all agree on. I don't try to lowball people. I usually ask people, what's your goal? Like how much money would it take? Um, I've had, I don't know. I've had hundreds of hiring conversations. So the first one is delegation, um, getting things off of my plate that I'm not good at. And it's an internal struggle because there are things right now I'm doing copywriting. I'll be real honest. Like I'm doing, I've studied copywriting. I've done copywriting. I'm decent at it. I'm not as good as a professional copywriter, but I'm still doing it because I couldn't find one that could hit my deadlines. So right now I'm writing some copy for a piece that I'm doing and it's just part of what's going to be there. So that's probably the biggest is, is delegation and saying like, I don't need to control this. That's probably the biggest single thing. And how do you go about fixing that issue? So we know that, Hey, delegation is something that you had a hard time with that, you know, that, Hey, you have your strengths, your weaknesses, but how can I uh, work on that? What are you doing? Do you have like a coach on that? Do you ask your people around you? How do you, how do you develop that? And how do you fix that? Sure. So the, you, well, you alluded to one We're we are definitely like the people we hang around with. Mm -hmm. So my, all of my, all of my close friends, my top five people all have teams bigger than mine. Um, so I always look at them and I'm like, man, they, and they make fun of me. Um, one of my closest friends, he always makes fun of me. He's like, oh, you're in there writing copies. Like I got a copywriter for that. Why don't you have one? Like that always, you know, getting kicked kicked, poked a little bit is always helpful. But the other thing is um, having having really good time for yourself and having KPIs that are personal. So like I said, every week I sit down and I said, what was my biggest win this week? What was my biggest shortcoming? What was my biggest failure? What am I struggling with? And I always look at those in, so I do quarterly goals. Uh, I won't go too far down the rabbit hole with how I plan, but I have quarterly goals. They're always just three goals. Um, and the my weekly KPI check-in is everything goes towards those goals and being really targeted. Um, Tim Ferriss, I think, was the first person that I heard talk about, like, you need to say no to more things than you say yes to. Like, mm -hmm. the more things I say no to, the more times I have. And I'll tell you, I have a whole whiteboard over here. It probably has like 50 things on it that are in a column I call shiny objects. And they go there because sometimes we see something, we have something floating around in our brain that would be a great idea. Well, instead of keeping thinking about it, I put it in the shiny object column. And then quarterly, I look at it and I say, okay, my yearly goal is X. Do any of these things in the shiny object column fit my yearly goal? If they do, I can start to explore them during quarterly goal planning. Do they fit in with where I was last quarter? And do they get me to where I need to be to hit the end of year goals? If they do, then I can start to explore them. But keeping really focused like that is a discipline that every entrepreneur has. And it's 
you can almost tell by looking at somebody and having the conversation, if they are struggling and they don't have that crystal clear laser focus, they're making less than 50K a year. The people who have focus are definitely the ones that are growing. They're getting to 100, 200, 300, a million dollars. It's really all it is. Steve, I love the fact they just highlighted that. So like you mentioned, you know, you were, you're aware that you have a certain discrepancy with how to delegate and how to be open with that. So certain things that you said that to fix that is that you have mentors around you that are highly successful and they kind of poke at you, like you mentioned, or kind of guide you towards, Hey, you're doing copywriting, but why don't you just hire a copywriter? If it's not your talent, you're wasting your time or so on and so forth. Understanding as well to take time for yourself to analyze You're very analytical to figure out what's my strengths. What are my weaknesses? What can I optimize as well? Understanding that when you say no, you're not actually saying no to an opportunity, but you're actually saying yes to something that you should do that is linked up with your focus so much higher, right? The more focused you are, the more well, one thing your, your direction towards, the more you're going to succeed. And one way you correlated that, which I truly loved is the shiny object syndrome, the sorry, shiny object syndrome. Every entrepreneur has this, right? Like, oh my God, I see this problem. I want to solve it. That's who we are as entrepreneurs. So the more they pop up, you get excited, but then you're doing that. You're not doing anything great, right? You're just touching a bunch of stuff. Be focused on one, develop it, put systems and processes in place when it's self-sufficient, then move on to the next shiny object and always correlate that with whether your goals towards is this shiny object going to help my goal or diminish my goal? Is this going to get me there or not? So I love the fact that you mentioned all of that aspect. Uh, so Steve, my brother, I mean, this, I think we could geek around until tomorrow morning about this conversation and with everything. Uh, one last thing I just want to ask you is where can our listeners reach you if they are interested about your service, your products, or just, you know, to get to know you even more, where can they connect with you? Sure. Um, if you found this podcast interesting and you want to have a conversation, you can go to steven.coffee. Uh, that will get you on my calendar. There's a short 15 minute window in there that you can book. Um, if you just want to hear more about me, or if you'd like to hear about how to hold a great webinar, I have a free course. It is death to bad webinars.com. Um, that will get you. It's a completely free course. It's 15 modules, uh, that will take you through everything that you need to stop holding bad webinars and start holding better ones. It will also get you on my email list, um, you'll hear from me pretty often. I write my own emails. It's something you heard in this episode. I do my own copy. Um, it's important to me to email my list. So you will hear from me directly. I just want to highlight, Steve, uh, the the names that you have for your thing, very well marketed. So Stephen.coffee, great idea. And death to bad uh, webinars, even better idea. So I just want to highlight that. Congratulate you, brother, on that end. Uh, so once again, uh, Stephen, like, awesome job with everything. Everything you mentioned will be in the show notes below. And it was such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much, Christopher. It was my pleasure. Christopher Dedian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or intrapreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and click that subscribe button. 
Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didia. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day.